0: Welcome To the Pre Raphaelite Society podcast, it is a pleasure today to be joined by a member, a founding member of the <laughs> podcast team, um, Hannah Squire. And we are in the honeysuckle room at Whittick Manor, which is really quite special. Um, Hannah, w- welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank part you, so much, thank <laughs> you so
1: much, Carl. Thank you so much. For interviewing me and for, for setting up the podcast. I think it's such a lovely idea. So I it well,
0: I think it was your idea to do these live video ones. Oh so. well I
1: thought as we kind of we all we live quite close a few of us mm-hmm. on the podcast team and Whitick is just an incredible place and it's I know great. the team is so well that they're very kind you let us um use they're one of the guest bedrooms here to film in. So. Yeah that's fantastic.
0: And yes. now it's it really is a beautiful setting and surrounding.
1: Mm.
0: Hannah can you tell us a little bit about the work you do so far your career
1: mm. yeah i thought it might just be helpful for people who want to get into the heritage um career or if they kind of are just really interested in how's the podcast team how we came to love the pre and to get involved so i am very fortunate that i grew up five minutes from whitwick manor in Wolverhampton. so i ran the corner and as a child my parents would bring me and my sister here quite a bit into other naturalist places so from really about seven or eight, I became interested in just the art, just from a very kind of child, kind of visual level. I just thought it was beautiful. And not only the art, but the wallpaper here, and they've got an amazing nursery and the fabrics. And just as a child, it really just captured my imagination. And then when I was a teenager, I started to volunteer here, Um, first as a room guard, which is a really great way to learn about the place, because you get to spend a lot of time in the different rooms because there's so much here, mm. you'll, you'll know this Carl, but it's really hard on the first visit to be able to kind of see everything and appreciate it. So volunteering was kind of perfect to that. And all the vol- lots of the visitors that come know so much as well. So it's really lovely to have a conversation about what they really love about the purpose and the aesthetic movement. So such started as a room grow volunteer, then I started volunteering with the conservation team because I wanted to know about how the collection care, mm. how we kind of look after these beautiful buildings and collections, so that's when I started. Um, and very luckily, as we both grew up sort of in the Midlands around Birmingham area, um, I went to University of Birmingham to study mm-hmm. History of Art. So while I was volunteering here, I was studying History of Art at Birmingham. In the Barber Art Gallery, there's some amazing peripheral art there as well. The Blue Bower, like I spent so much time in the Art Gallery for my lectures and seminars. So that just carried on the passion. Um, and I did my Master's there as well, at Birmingham in Art History, looking at for my masters, actually, I looked. At, I've always been interested in kind of queer and female artists, mm-hmm. uh, particularly the nineteenth century. That was looking more at French artists, um, but one of my modules I really focused on the female parafolates as well, um, and that's when I. Um, so when I finished my master, I was so lucky. I just finished my masters, and Helen told me there was a position as a conservation assistant came with it, and because I knew the team so well, and I've been volunteering here in different capacities, I applied and got that role. Um, is fabulous so i started conservation assistant kind of learning everything for the base up. and when you're part of a team you kind of have to muck in and do everything yeah. so you as well as kind of helping move and pack and clean some of these amazing proper artworks and um, you also help them clean the loos and you know if they need to yeah. quickly in the tea room like it's always like a busy busy day um or giving talks to visitors like it's fabulous so i really came to know the collection well and also going to go in the conservation store and see the things that um, that weren't on display, and yeah. so that's how I came really. So that's the beginning.
0: I, well, my, my next question was going to be um, your first exposure to the Pre Raphaelites, <laughs> <laughs> I think you covered that there. So you've always mm. sort of grown up in and around Wittick and yeah. had that interest in, in seeking out the Pre Raphaelite art. Mm. So.
1: I was, my main vi- vivid memory I have. Being an eight-year-old and being here, as well as running around the gardens, was Love Among the Ruins in the Great Parlour. I had no you know, I had no idea about the significance of it or about Burn Jones or anything, but it's it's not only the size of it, it's got that incredible gold frame mm. that just draws you in. And then just the figures in it um, and the ruins around. Like I was just so as a child, it's such a brilliant well, they all are, but it's such a brilliant image for kind of making your own stories up. But I was always writing stories as a kid. And that, I think, its size, and when you walk in that great parlor, like, that's a really vivid early memory for me. So kind of Burne Jades was one of my kind of ways in. So
0: that, that's actually my favourite pre-Raphaelite painting. Yeah, the I to you mentioned
1: in <laughs> that, yeah, first podcast episode. Yeah, yeah, very good choice.
0: But you, you, you don't appreciate a lot of these artworks until you see them in the flesh, and I, th- I think for me, my first visit to Whittet Manor, um, embarrassingly, was, was not that long ago, it was only a couple of years ago, and for me, it was to see the Evelyn De Morgan in the, in the, the flesh, day. yeah, the, the gallery, because I, I think I'd never probably paid the attention that, uh, that she deserves until mm-hmm. I saw those artworks mm. actually live on the walls here, and then I found out later that that was all you we
1: were doing. That was your work. Yeah, well, <laughs> what is so amazing about the team here, so Helen Brat-White and who I did a previous episode in this room, actually, um, recording. he's the senior house, house and collections manager. Both her and a previous... Um, Uh, head of collections john wood when he was here and andrea and the whole team really are so great about supporting people so when i showed that i had my real interest in our history and research they kind of just let me as well as doing my duties that i had to fulfill every day Mm. they kind of just let me get on with it so we had in the trust is a thing called national public programming and in uh, 2017 it was the 50 years since the decriminalization of homosexuality in the uk so and they did a big campaign and called prejudice and pride run by rachel lennon who then became my boss later it was an incredible initiative of hers to look at um our queer collections so whether that's either the people that the families in the houses or our art collections and so they came to we heard about it and helen and i decided we want to get involved so that's when i started researching and. Oscar Wilde's a really important figure to Whittic, so it's a house of the Aesthetic Movement. Theodore Mander, who built it, went to a talk given by Oscar Wilde in Wolverhampton. He took some notes. So we started looking into those notes, and you can see how it directly inspired the house. So there was no. Um, interior designer, the family chose what they liked. So his notes, and then I found in the local Express and Star paper, there's lots more information about Oscar Wilde, so I started looking into him. And then we have, in this room, Unfortunately, you can't see from this angle, but behind us, these amazing Simeon Solomon's and there's two there as well, Look, talking all about the discrimination he faced, both as uh, being Jewish and also um, he went to prison mm. um, for being gay. Um, obviously he wouldn't have called himself that at the time, I'm just using that yeah. vernacular. Um, so him, and then May Morris as well, these beautiful, beautiful embroideries here, the bed hangings, looking into her, her and Miss Love visited here. So I started researching that, and um, we had Dr. Caroline Conroy, who's an expert in this yes, yeah. came and I asked her to do some talks with volunteers, and we did some videos with her that are on YouTube, on Whitix channel. Um, and then the big the big kind of where I got involved in doing exhibitions because a conservation assistant it's quite rare to be able to put on an exhibition yeah to have um, that freedom to yeah it was uh, so after 2017 and the massive success of lots of pro- properties in the trust got involved in 2018 it was 100 years since um the um the representation of the people act that kind of gave women, some women the vote in 1918 um, and I, we didn't realise here that the Manda family were directly involved in the local mm-hmm. suffragist okay. movement, not suffragettes. Um, and I did some research into that, sort of held meetings here. And from that, um, me and Helen were talking one day and I said, we have these amazing Elizabeth Siddle artworks and we had three on display. So the two watercolour, the two garages were on display and also one of her drawings. But we have 12 and um, there were interlander boxes in the archive, never been framed before. And Helen would bring them out for her She really lovely talks and she'd, mm. she'd bring them out for those but no one was really getting to see them that much and I thought we had some funding from the central MPP team and I really wanted to put an exhibition of her work because I loved them and I wanted people to see them so I went to Helen and said if I get this funding could we have get them all framed have them all on display do an exhibition upstairs here which was in 2018 it's called Beyond Ophelia and she was really like, just go for it, Hannah. We chose a room upstairs, another bedroom that's smaller than this. And it was one that was always roped off. People couldn't really walk in. There was some lovely pieces in there, but it wasn't really utilized. Yeah. So I decided to kind of, I'd never done an exhibition before, so it was a bit scary, but um, I, sp- I spoke to Jan Marsh quite a bit and her exhibition of Elizabeth Siddle at the Ruskin Gallery in the 90s was the first ever exhibition purely dedicated to Siddle. And there'd never been one since or before. And I was shocked because I yeah. really wanted to go back and look at all these other exhibitions You were know, like oh can I be inspired by them or can I see how other people have spoken mm-hmm. about her and about how we can do that here and there's been some re- you know some great research on her by Jan Marsh and Deborah Cherry and others um, and obviously Serena Trowbridge but there hadn't been another exhibition and I thought well we were limited by the space of the room and I thought let's just do an exhibition rooted in Wittick's collection rooted in the 12 artworks we have here mm-hmm. Um, and I also put some poems of hers on display because um, the Mander's were really interested in poetry. If you've been to it, if you walk around the house, including in here, you probably can't see it on camera, mm. but there are these quotes on the wall that Jeffrey Mander added from various poets. So there's some from Shakespeare, some from Robert Browning. So he put a few quotes on the wall in there, and then we also had him frame some of her poetry. And we what was as well as talking about Siddle and about how incredible she was an artist and a poet and how sort of undervalued she has been and talking about her links obviously to Rossetti and to the movement but more about how that she wasn't just being inspired by them she was inspiring them both as a artist and a muse and a poet and um, we also want to talk about why the mandas have the collection because I mean Helen hadn't realized until I started looking into it that we have the work of 13 professional female artists in the house with over 30 works by women which is more than the National Gallery in London have. I
0: thought, I thought it was, I it didn't was, want to say. But, it
1: uh. was shocking, and I was like, oh my goodness. And we have more work by women artists than any other place in the National Trust. Um, and so me and Heather were like, we started moving some of the works. So we have works by Evelyn Mor- Evelyn Morris, sorry, Evelyn De Morgan, Lucy Maddox Brown, obviously Lizzie Siddle, May Morris, um, it's such a myriad, and there's loads of them so I won't list all 13 of them, in the house, and so we kind of wanted to move some of them to more prominent places. After the Siddle exhibition, um, more of them are framed now on display, which is a really lovely legacy, including, uh, I'm sure you've seen this, it's in the great parlour now, we had a frame made for the Siddles, because the problem is the Siddle drew on both sides of the paper, and on one of them, she drawn kind of upside down on one side, so you couldn't uh... put them on the wall because you'd only see one side. <laughs> So we had, uh, working with our brilliant uh, paper conservator, and he um, he put us in touch with a brilliant framer who made mm. this frame that you can see now that is double-sided and rotates. So if you're standing on... Because we had a volunteer come into the exhibition and be like, oh, you have framed one of the settles upside down? And I was like, no, 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 we would have <laughs> noticed that. It's because you do on both sides, you have to rotate it to see them. So that's a good legacy of the exhibition. They're, kind of, they're on display downstairs and more of her pieces. So we worked on that. Found out those these amazing artists. Um, we did a display in the drawing room if you visited, um, showing how the suffragist meetings might have happened at Whitick. And mm. uh, we also put around the house these um quotes of relating it to today. So we called it Art and Activism at Whitick, because the family were very involved politically in women's rights as well. Um, Geoffrey was a Liberal MP. And we had these quotes about even now how few exhibitions are dedicated to women artists how few female politicians there are, and it was mm-hmm. really looking at how it's still so kind of important today. Um so yeah, we did a little leaflet as well I did some volunteers about kind of doing a trail around the house of all the women artists. Okay. Um and how important a collection it is. And and then we worked with I we worked with Kate Charlesworth, who's a really brilliant writer and illustrator. And she did these incredible um not mannequins, they were um, I've forgotten the word they're, um, they're called Silent... There's a, there's a... Anyway, I can't remember if there's a name for them, but they're these big kind of almost cutouts in wood of some of the famous women associated with the house. So that was both the Manda women, who were involved in the suffrage movement, and Princess Sidra, who was okay. one of the Indian princesses who married into the family. But also we had various really amazing... She did these sort of life-size figures of Mae Morris and Elizabeth Siddle, um, around the house uh, and related them back to contemporary views. So I have, she actually gave me the Elizabeth Siddle and she's dressed as like a contemporary artist with a guerrilla girl's badge and okay, a pussy yeah. hat. So <laughs> it was all about kind of wanting to be, to make these interventions in the space and make it relatable. So that's what I did here. Sorry, I realise I'm going on and on. But then that, So that's how I then got a job as part of the central team, yeah. working as a assistant curator, working with lots of different collections. So that's how, um, that I started working nationally, but it was really rooted in my passion and knowledge and being able to get on with working on the exhibitions and the artworks here. So yeah, I'm very lucky. You,
0: you are, and it, sounds, it <laughs> sounds like you've been involved in a lot there, that's... Yeah. Uh, it, how much work actually would go into putting on, say an Evelyn De Morgan exhibition or a Lizzie Siddle exhibition?
1: Yeah. Thank you, Carl. So I forgot as well. So yeah, that when I was working nationally in 2019, I worked with the De Morgan Foundation on, there's a brilliant De Morgan gallery now here, mm. which um, is only about five years old now, which was um, set up by John Wood and Helen Brett Whiten. Um, it's a brilliant space, a contemporary gallery in our mall house of the De Morgan Foundation collection that lost their home in London. And I was talking to Sarah because the exhibition, brilliant exhibition had been in there a few years and we wanted to change it. So I worked with her... We wanted to root it in the aesthetic movement mm. and relating it to wit. So why do we have these pieces here of Evelyn and William de Morgan's and relate them back to the house? Um, so yeah, I worked with Sarah. It was it's, it took a lot of time, obviously planning, working on the space, and then when it actually came to putting the exhibition up, um, there's only a week set aside for the gallery to be shut. When we could have definitely done for two weeks, it was long days. We had some brilliant volunteers that helped us with conservation checks of all the pieces coming in. And um, and I worked with uh, one of the house team here, Vicky Victoria. She um, helped me with. She wrote some brilliant labels for some of the ceramics. In mm. the, so many pieces in there, I couldn't do it all. So she helped me writing those. And um, and it does. It's a lot of planning, a lot of kind of writing, a lot of working with teams as well. It's just the logistics of it. Yes, getting things yeah. here, setting them up, getting all the panels produced. So it's a lot of work. And I will say as well that, doing my Working here, when I worked here as part of the conservation team, I was part-time, so there also there's volunteering as well involved with okay, these yeah. exhibitions. I did stuff during my work time and I got some extra funding, but also it was just it's such a passion. I did it in my own time as well. Um, so yeah, so that's when I went on to work with the national team and work on other collections and exhibitions. But I'm really proud of the Siddle, and the Evelyn William de Morgan exhibition I did here. And the um, Evelyn William de Morgan exhibition is still on, it's on display in the gallery now for yep. another couple of years and look beneath the lustre so i worked with sarah on that so yeah i've just been coming it's from coming at it from like a fan as a child i've really been so blessed to be able to work with the collections and the, the teams in the trust the conservation teams mm. central teams and yeah
0: and to just get hands on with with that artwork yeah, I love you know it. that's the side of it that perhaps I, myself I don't see mm. you know I, I know for example when we were setting this room up mm. I was so careful moving every chair and every little <laughs> bit of, to to make the space for the camera yeah. you know it must be it's quite a privilege to get oh, to get hands on hand with, with these things yeah it's,
1: and we're really lucky to have the training that we do but it's you kind of have to you know you've had the training and to be very careful um, but it's yeah you try not to just think about how important some of the pieces are when you're moving them and working on them. And when we had, um, some of, when we had the beautiful forest tapestry come from the V&A mm. to go on to spot, I helped hang that a few years ago. And it is you just have to know that you're you're prepared, you've been trained, you know what you're doing, you've had the communication with the people, but that it's. Yeah, it's a bit daunting. It still is. It's every
0: time you do it, it's really daunting. So. You get a little little heart flutter every time. Hundred percent, hundred
1: percent. So
0: no, very lucky. When you were talking about the Lizzie Siddle works that you have here, I was mm. really shocked that they haven't been out properly before, mm. or they're, they're, you know, they've just been that one exhibition. Mm. That's somebody of Lizzie Siddle's prominence. Mm. Yeah. Well, why do you think that is?
1: Well, I think it's... Because they weren't, they weren't framed, it was obviously the cost of having them okay, framed. They were instead yeah. boxes. That, I think that was part of it. And like I said, Helen did bring them out for her talks. but And there were a few of them on display. So I love is listening to music is framed. Yes. Beautiful drawing, that was on display. And the Haunted Wood and Saint Agnes Eve were both on display, the watercolours. But the rest hadn't been framed. The problem is with Whittick, Um, there is so many pieces and there's so many things on display and they're quite small. Yeah. Um, I think that was probably part of it. Um, but it's just so lovely because the fact that Geoffrey Jeff, and Rosalie Mander, who owned a gave the trust, um, gave the house to the National Trust, bought so many artworks by women, mm. and we know that Jeffrey got into a bidding war for the Siddles um, ah. and paid a record sum for them. So they they collected them, they talked about them, but it's just I think cause they hadn't been framed, and um, so it was really brilliant because. We didn't realise we had the second largest collection, public collection really? in the world, because the Ashmolean have some amazing pieces, yeah. which are not usually on display. You have to request to see them in the print and drawings room. Um, but we had such amazing pieces. And yeah, I just thought, oh my goodness, we just kind of need to do this. So, so lucky to get funding. And now if you come round, you'll see a lot more on display. Um, there are some of them are obviously being rested at the moment, but they yeah. didn't come out. But no, it's just such a lovely legacy. I'm just so proud to have been able to do and I just I love her work so much. Um it's just wonderful every time I come to see it. So
0: yeah. I know I suppose there's a nice thing about it, which you do actually have so much. Mm. I mean we were talking previously about recording you having to move furniture around to really showcase yeah. specific things. but so what what are your what's your, what's your top object that you've got here, your favourite oh, thing?
1: I when I was coming here I'm like Carl's gonna ask me this question. <laughs> and I'm just trying to think if I narrow it down to an artwork, because mm. there's furniture, fabric, there's some amazing pieces and letters and so much in the archives, it's amazing. If I'm gonna narrow it down to an artwork, oh my God, goodness. I'm winning through my head, just all of them. Um, I feel like I wanna go with Lucy Siddle. I think I've always mm. said, if I was gonna have one myself, you know, like if, if ah. I was gonna have one myself, it would be a Siddle because I do. There's some amazing, like this amazing Lucy Maddox Brown, and um, the tombs in Romeo and Juliet, which I love. This beautiful evening to Morgan Clivey is mm. an incredible aesthetic piece. There's the memoirs at Calmscock Manor I love, there's some amazing ways Bartali Stillmans, but I'm gonna go for a siddle. Um, I think be- because I-, I love Sister Helen, it's a drawing, um, and it's and it's very, I love her naive style, but it's the emotion in it. Mm. So Sister Helen it's taken from a poem by Rossetti, and it's her, she's kind of, her lover has deserted her and she's done this kind of wax effigy of him, which she's going to burn and lead to his de- uh, destruction, his death. And she's just got a, But the way it little draw is she's so conflicted and so anguished and so upset. And it just with a few, you know, few pencil strokes, she's kind of got her hands up and it's so emotive. It's so little. If you walked in here, you've probably walked past it to go yeah. to the old paintings, ah, yes. the bigger pieces, the pastels, but... It's the emotion that she kept in such a kind of naive, beautiful, medieval inspired drawing. Um, that I just love. So I think probably Sister Helen. You take a sit draw. Yeah, I'd take Sister Helen. She's quite small, like I could probably hide yeah. her. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. But it's it's just so lovely to have her on display and to be able to talk to people about her because she was one that hadn't been ever framed before. So yeah, I nice Sister before. Helen.
0: Okay, I, I suppose it's a bit of an unfair question, isn't it, really? I because know. there's just yeah. So many beautiful things here.
1: Yeah, although I do agree with you, the Burne Jones Love and the Ruins is just a star piece. People, when they come around the Quantum Great Parlour, it's that wow. Yeah. It's just such an incredible piece to have. Absolutely, does have that. And yeah, and, yeah, and um, when Android Webber came and did his ITV documentary, mm-hmm. you know, he was so flabbergasted by it. And I think there is definitely some. Snobbery from some people about Wolverhampton and maybe hmm. Birmingham too, but Wolverhampton about what they have, yeah. and people are quite surprised that it is such an incredible collection. But they, you know, they're such incredible people. It is, it is such an incredible city and just a
0: beautiful collection. So, it's, it's I think. So, how how much influence did the Manders family have in Wolverhampton?
1: Yeah, very influential. So Jeffrey Mander was a Liberal MP. He fought for workers' rights. Yes. He fought for women's rights as well, which was amazing. I went through the Hansard records, which okay. are kind of all the um, it's all typed up every time they kind of spoke in the House of Commons, and Geoffrey spoke a lot. He was kind of well-known for, like, questioning things, and he spoke a lot out for having more women MPs, more women mm. police officers, for having minimum wage a working week. So he was really interested in the kind of the ethos around socialism and kind of really looking at workers' rights. And he had... So all this money to build this incredible place and acquire this collection came from paint and printing uh, inks okay. and varnish. So if you come to Wolverhampton now... In the centre of town, there's a shopping centre called mm. the Manda Centre, and that's where the factory was. So they built this house so it's far enough away. It was originally hundreds of acres. Now we've got about 13. It was far enough away from the factory that it, they were in the countryside, but close enough. So Geoffrey and his father before Theodore we were every day we're every day there. Um, and yeah, they built this incredible aesthetic home. Like I said, inspired inspired Brasca Wilde, so much William Morris in it. It was really all their taste. Lots of William Morgan guitars in the fireplace, and mm. um, but the art collection kind of came later. The art collection started in the 30s, so it's a bit later than the house. Uh, so.
0: That was my next question. I was going to ask about the Centre, and if there was, I assumed yeah. there was, but I thought you would be the person to ask. Yeah,
1: there was a, it was a beautiful factory building, which one factory building that was there, um, and Jeffrey was very much involved with it then becoming a, a important shopping place for mm. you know people locally. And Geoffrey was so much involved, he was really involved in the trust. He gave it to the trust with also a financial endowment. It wasn't okay. like he need, you know, they needed yeah. to. He gave it, and then they started collecting the art once the house was given to the trust. So if you think about it, this was never a private art collection. It was always bought to go on display okay, in a public yeah. gallery, yeah. which is even more amazing. So you've got these incredible collection of Rossetti's, Burne Jones, Millet's, Simeon Solomon's, even De Morgan's. Um, Lucy Maddox Brown, Elizabeth Siddle, cre- Incredible Morris, every kind of everything Morris produced, basically a version of it's here, um, including his Calmscott chores. So they, it was here to go on display. That was the whole point. It was meant to be for the public, and they made sure um, that they they opened a half, um, when the shop girls had their half day off, I think it was on a Wednesday or Thursday, it, was, it made sure it was open then so the people yeah. that worked in the city could come during the week as well.
0: Oh, that's fantastic! So it's almost a lifetime's worth of curating for yeah. for the public. That's yeah. that's quite a thing. That's an incredible achievement.
1: Yeah, and, and we count in that ethos now as well with having the revolving um, exhibition. So we have mm. after the SIDL in twenty eighteen, Helen we spoke about in the other episode did an exhibition of Rossetti. And it's one at the moment of the Arts and Crafts Garden. Um, Obviously, the De Morgan Gallery changes, it. so it's also about having this changing program of. Mm. Moving the artworks around, no artwork ever apart from Love and the Ruins, which you can't move. No artwork really was ever in every one particular place, it was always moved. So, it's really about showcasing new connections between artists, moving objects. So, it's you know, it's always a kind of work in progress. That's what it was moving things around, yeah. so, including sorry, this beautiful um. Maybe we can get a shot of it. So there's a lovely, just behind the camera, this amazing Japanese-inspired Godwin sideboard, which mm. used to be in the corridor, that we moved into here. I sort of couldn't move it into here because it's ah. an amazing aesthetic piece. And there's some beautiful pieces in the house inspired by Japan, and obviously the blue and white inspired by China. So all these global inspirations as well, and some beautiful Indian pieces as well in the collection. So it's kind of also showing those connections and how the aesthetic movement was inspired by these different cultures so it's really lovely that we can do that and highlight different pieces and move them around so yeah it's It's nice to have that
0: flexibility now now on a personal level because you know my research is on Swinburne Mm. I believe there's a Swinburne connection with uh, wardrobe here that was owned by Theodore Watts-Dunton. Yeah, there's um
1: uh, there's a wardrobe and there's also a folding out bed and people yes, are always are amazed that kind of folding out beds are not like a recent <laughs> thing. It's been for years and years to kind of yeah for for Swinburne for space um it's the same <laughs> space is put in there. And um, so now we have it in the Oak Room, which is our largest guest bedroom. So it's such a large space. But why has it got such a small bed? But it's, uh-huh. it's such an important yeah. bed with these beautiful paintings on it that were done by Rossetti's um, assistant, Treffry Dunn. So yes. they are inspired by Rossetti paintings, but they were done by him. And yeah, it's these lovely connections. So it's owned by Swinburne. Um, and then the Manders bought it really cheaply. I think they paid £3 for the wardrobe and £5 for the bed and brought them to the collection. So what was great is when the Mandas were collecting all these artworks, especially the women artists as well, mm. it was um it was really out of fashion in the 30s and 40s. Lady Amanda was really a pioneer for the Peripheralites, collecting them. She did lecture tours as well in the UK and America. Um, she was on the BBC. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to find any of her recordings. We don't know if they were oh, lost okay. by the BBC archives, of her talking about the collection. She wrote a book about Rossetti, and um, which includes some quotes about elizabeth siddle as well and talking about how important she was and um, so yeah not only were they collecting but they were also kind of like the work that we're doing with, with the society mm. they were really she was really about kind of promoting how important their work was and she also knew quite a few descendants as well Who gave her things for whitick which is always helpful Gave her pieces and um, for the collection so,
0: that's amazing so yeah. so when did the when did this become sort of public public national trust ownership? 1937. 37, it was really so. early. It
1: was the first one under the Country House Scheme Act, um, and that's when they bought their first Rosette. So the first piece ah, of the okay. was bought that same year, and then they collected over the years for the house. So, yeah, it was really early on. Geoffrey and Rose, they gave tours of the house themselves. So if you came on an afternoon, they would have invited you and showed you around. Oh, they carried incredible. on living here. Um, throughout that time, Lady Amanda died in the late 80s and she lived until then and was still giving talks. And she was really important in the local community as well, going and talking about and um, the collection to people in Wolverhampton as well as further afield. And we've got lovely letters in the archive of her kind of talking to various descendants mm. of the Paraphalites about their relatives. And, oh, like, can you tell me a bit more about this painting or how did you acquire this or could we borrow that or could we lend that kind of thing? So she was... Her and Jeffrey were really kind of pioneers in that. So it's That's wonderful.
0: Fun. Oh, no. it's a great story. You know, we started this, and I was going to be asking about you and your work, but you <laughs> Sorry. just <got> so <laughs> immersed in witty, Don't you? It's such a wonderful place. Oh, and I, there's so many stories.
1: Oh, I got... And when I was part of the National team, so I really had to not be biased. And there's some amazing <sighs> collections, other places with amazing mm. Raphaelite art, and William Morris, like and yep. has an amazing collection of William Morris there, and it's amazing interiors. But I had to kind of not be too biased, when we are like, don't keep bringing them up, because there's so many connections, there's mm. so many important stories here. Um, but yeah, a bit more about me. We talk about, maybe we talk a bit about the society and getting involved. So yeah. I was really um, grateful to Carl and um, for having the idea of this podcast and the group of us getting involved. And I'm really, really looking forward to talking to more people, interviewing mm. them. I think it's, I find it much easier to interview people than to myself talk, um, so <laughs> I worry I wrap it on a bit too much. but. <laughs> working on that and I'm working with Katia, who's an amazing yeah. editor of the Paraphylite yeah. Society on the social media, yeah. um, which has been wonderful. But at the moment, um, I was meant to be starting, hopefully, I was meant to be starting uh, this September, yes, a PhD looking at the and um, mm. particularly around, because I have a passion for the female artists, yeah. but looking at, coming from a curatorial background about how, over the years, their work has been exhibited or not, yes. Um, whether it's the the gallery, which was so important to them, also looking at records of the Royal Academy and how, even up to the present day, you know, the recent Paraphylite Drawings Exhibition of Mm. the Ashmolean, how the women artists of the movement have either themselves exhibited their work, how they've written about the work themselves, or how they see themselves as professional artists, or how other people, so like when William Michael Rossetti wrote wrote, wrote about Lizzie Siddle, and more recently, and just to kind of see how their work has been exhibited and collected, because which is not entirely unique, but amazing to have these women artists. And they weren't donated, they were sought out, collected, brought at auction by the Manners to go on display, which is quite unique. But how, over the years, that has been changing with the amazing art historical work that's been going on, and that you know it's more being collected, more written about. So I kind of want to research mm. that. But um, as I said to you beforehand, I stopped working for the Trust, uh, it's been a year now, because um, that our, our department, unfortunately, in all the cuts with COVID, the MPP department was lost. Um, and I was offered a different role that wasn't curatorial, which wasn't me. And then from last January, I've been getting really bad migraines, so mm. I haven't been able to look at computers or do my studies. So at the moment, it's so lovely to be involved in the podcasts and to be able to do a bit on social media and still kind of I'm still reading books are fine and I books don't tend good. to get okay. I don't tend to get so many migraines from them. So I'm kind of just dealing with some chronic illness, but. So, so lovely. I still volunteer here as well, occasionally yeah. you'll find me here on a Sunday, if you do come you might find me in a room talking to people, um, but yeah I've kind of put, put things on hold at the moment, but that's my aspiration to get okay, back,
0: to
1: yeah. do a PhD like, like you, because <laughs> I'm really just interested, in, I know you and Alex have both been you know, on this journey, so I'd love to, I really don't want to start it at some point. <laughs> and get back into to working in museums but it's lovely I can dip my toe I can do Yeah puppets.
0: and I I guess, I guess you're in, you're in quite a nice position just having the connections at Wittick and having mm-hmm. that background here mm-hmm. do you think you, you you'd ever see yourself away from Wittick you're always going to have you're always going to have a piece of your heart
1: it will always have a piece of my heart i think my family's all, you know all live around mm. here and i'm close and i know the team the team here are lovely and working with them and um I'm doing some what, bit of work with Sarah because some of the pieces in the gallery have got to go to an exhibition in America. So I'm doing a bit of work oh, with her good. on some new interpretation. So now I think I'll, I'll always really like to be involved with the collection. But no, there's some other amazing collections like Manchester uh, Art Gallery, yes. the Walker, Birmingham. Mm. You know, there's some incredible pieces that aren't just here in America as well. That I'd love to go to. I need to go to Delaware at some point, to the gallery. We should have a word of
0: sherry. Oh yes, on exactly. We need to go visit her in America. <laughs>
1: Like there's just such amazing, it's just that I think because I grew up here and I know the collection and I love it and I've written about it and um, yeah, I've got a chapter soon in the book coming out. So I just, I love it, but no, I do want to, there are a lot more collections than just Wittig, it's just because it's so, there's so much artworks by women and artworks by queer artists as well.
0: Yeah, so that's your plan for the future, to explore... Um, perhaps start your start your phd hopefully with...
1: at some point if I can start looking at computers again <laughs> otherwise I'm gonna to have to handwrite. but the <laughs> nice thing about doing a phd
0: is there's just lots of books
1: yes which is nice yeah <laughs> when I can fact when I'm not kind of in the process of migrating, I can I can read books I can get you know yeah I can read them bits so yeah I mean really yeah get used
0: there. to reading a lot in yeah. fact I know you do read a lot because um you have your YouTube video blog, oh don't God. you? <laughs> I haven't
1: done that for a year because I've just been quite ill. But yeah, I just I love talking about books. I that's not really Pre-Raphaelite related. I haven't really talked about any Pre-Raphaelites on there. But um, uh, but yeah, I just I love reading fiction, non-fiction. I have an Instagram where I talk a lot about books, and yeah, it's a real passion of mine. So mm-hmm. I definitely I do a lot of reading around the Pre-Raphaelites and their poetry. Yeah. And at the moment, um, for the de Morgan Foundation, I'm reading William de Morgan's novels which I'd never read before. Apparently, they were very famous in his lifetime, like Joseph Vance, and there is one. Wait a second. I can touch this, because this isn't collection. This isn't collection at all. This is owned by um, Sarah Harding. She's happy to let me borrow it. It it, it Never Can Happen Again, one of his novels. So I'm going to be reading these and basically kind of reporting back what's in them, because apparently he did, like, parodies of various arts and crafts people or artists. So I'm like... I've never read any of them, and I'm going to do kind of a synopsis of each chapter and kind of pass that along. And also, it'd be interesting for me, and apparently, Sarah's telling me, some of the later works that were published after he died, hmm. Evelyn de Morgan kind of got involved with in helping editing and finish them. So, I can do this because I can read, so I'm going to be doing I, a bit of that. I
0: had no idea they were a thing. Yeah, apparently, they
1: were he was incredibly famous in his lifetime as a writer, okay. also, also as obviously a ceramic and tile designer, but... Yeah, it was very. They're very popular, but they've gone out of popularity now. Unfortunately, can you
0: still? can you? Could you buy modern editions, or are they long out of print? I haven't
1: been. I think sometimes they do um, do some kind of basic prints, but I've actually found the originals aren't that expensive. I found like like, Abe books and Mm. other kind of, um, and you know, eBay has a few as well, and they're not that expensive. So I've just been getting a few of them. I found one for like ten pounds. You know, twelve pounds. Could
0: be a could be a good project. We could. Yeah. Get some funding and have them reprinted, and we could. <laughs> That's a
1: good idea. Carl's always coming up with good ideas. That's a really good idea, because I'm yeah. But I'm so I've just started. I've embarked on the first couple of chapters, um, of one of them. So.
0: So I know Serena's involved at the moment with Evelyn De Morgan's poetry.
1: Yes, I'm really yeah. looking forward to seeing what she finds out about that. Because yeah, it's just really fascinating you just see we'll talk about this because um, of your backgrounds kind of in, in literature and mm. obviously relating that to art i think it's such a lovely interdisciplinary way to look yes. at someone as as a whole so yep. it, like elizabeth siddle she was an artist but she was a poet mm. and some of the poetry is really related to the artwork and it's how we can see creative people as a as a whole not just as in one particular box and yeah, william morris so. obviously is a really great advocate for that with everything he did um, so yeah I think definitely it'd be lovely to do kind of more of that to relate the artworks to the texts and to that yes. so I'll let you know how I get on
0: yeah I'll be interested in that I bet <laughs> that's wonderful
1: well I'm writing a little synopsis of each chapter so I can kind of pass them on great good so, stuff yeah.
0: so before we finish up is, yeah. is is there anything else out there that you've got I know you've got your your personal Instagram yes yeah but do you want to talk about the work you've done on the Instagram for the Pre-Raphaelite yeah, Society before? Yeah,
1: so Katya's been doing amazingly. Um, she We have the Facebook and the Twitter mm-hmm. for the Pre-Raphaelite Society, which are amazing. On Twitter, I have over 8,000 followers, and I think over three on Facebook, which is remarkable. And Katya was doing it by herself. I, I, I don't know who, start, who started it before Katya, um, but she's been doing it by herself. She's doing it six days a week. And I said to her, look, I'll do... I started off doing two days a week, and now I'm doing three. So she does four, and I do three. Um, on Facebook and Twitter and then I can't remember who brought it up in one of our meetings about we could do with an Instagram and I was like I'm on Instagram far too much so Mm. I'm very happy to do that so the moment I kind of look after the Instagram by myself and I I repost Katia's things and I try and make it a bit different to the other two so that if you want to you can follow all three and there's something slightly different so you're not going to get the same content on Instagram as Facebook or Twitter I just kind of add in extra bits and it's really collaborative with all of our followers are great with suggesting ideas and can we um, include this piece? So I work with them, So, but that's been really good. It's been so great to be part of the society in that way, to be able to kind of really um, talk to people and get involved with um, art history and with the paraphrase in a way that I can do that's kind of more bite-sized. It's not kind of like doing a PhD, it's kind of easier. So I've been doing that and a few meeting reports of some of the amazing lectures the society's done the journal. So I'm doing like I can do little bits but I have to spread them out. So they take me longer than most people. So the Instagram I do, it just sometimes takes me a bit longer. So
0: (laughs) well I I Personally, I think you're doing a wonderful job oh, thank you. Uh, on the social media side of things being involved in the podcast team. Thank you, Carl. It's I such think a, you're just a really valuable member to the society thank now. Thank you.
1: It's such a fabulous team. It's just mm. everybody has their own interests and their own expertise. And yeah. just to learn from everyone, yeah. it's just it's just absolutely incredible. And I really, we're going to do another one of these podcasts where I talk to you, Carl, and we're going to great depth about all the incredible work you've done with the Society and with your PhD and things. So it's just really lovely to chat. And thank you so much for asking me to tell you a bit more about my background today. And I've probably missed out things, but, oh, but it's lovely. I'm sure I'm we'll have, have
0: another other. episode at some point. Don't worry about <laughs> thank that. You so As much, well, no, not a problem. Now, if you are interested in the Pre-Raphaelite Society, uh, please visit our website at wwwpre society.org. UK to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> so, I hope so. <laughs> I'm
1: sure we do.
0: you do. And consider subscribing to our journal. Um, you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Instagram.
1: Instagram. Yeah, please do get in contact and get involved. So. And some amazing talks program as well. Um, oh as well
0: yes, well. if you check yeah, if you check our website and our Facebook, you'll find lots more content. Um, always Talks going on, podcast, plenty of things for you to find, plenty of things for you to have a look at, plenty of things for you to listen to.
1: One last plug go I on. did a talk for the De Morgan Foundation on oh, Oscar Wilde. It wasn't purely focused on Wittic, it's more about sunflowers, but there's quite a few pieces here. I did that, I did part one earlier, I did part one last year, I was meant to do part two and then. I just my migraines. I haven't done part two yet, but part one is also the De Morgan Foundation YouTube. They do some lovely lectures as well. I, do, I know yeah. Sarah Hardy's done some for for the Periaphyte Society. It's nice to collaborate with the yeah, I think
0: so. Yeah, yeah. There's been lots on the Evelyn De Morgan. Yes, like
1: that, yes. Really.
0: Been, so yeah, sorry. It's thank you a, very much. No, it's okay. This is what happens when I don't have my my scripts in front of me for when <laughs> no, it's when we finish an episode. So check our website. Check our social media. Mm-hmm. um We hope you've enjoyed it. We hope to see you again soon.
1: Yeah, thank you so much to the team at Rittick for letting us be in this incredible room. It's beautiful.
0: And now you can go and show me around and show me some treasures.
1: Yeah, let's go and have a good swim, (laughs) burn.